Well, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Psalm 132. Um, Looking forward to uh, Christmas Eve, just being together with the church a couple times uh, next Sunday. Uh, After that, uh, our family is also looking forward and thankful to God for an opportunity to get away for a little bit. So we're going to spend a couple of nights uh, at Kirsten's parents' home and one night at my parents' home and lots of time in between there with extended family. And I'm grateful uh, for all of that. But anytime we go away, there's also this longing and a gratefulness when we get back home. Anybody else like coming back home after you're away? Like you've got your own bed with your own, we take our pillows with us, but your own bed, uh, your own food, your own routine, being like in our dwelling place. Like this, this is our place. These are our people. And it's so good to be able to go other places, but it's so good to have a home uh, and to come back to that. Well, today, uh, title of the message is just dwelling. What we've been doing on Sunday mornings in the sermons in these weeks of Advent, but also in our life groups is looking at Psalms. So going back to the portion of the Bible written before the birth of Jesus and looking at Psalms, it's the Old Testament, and one of those Old Testament books is the book of Psalms. And we've been looking at Psalms that point us ahead to the Messiah, the Christ, the King, the Anointed One who was coming. And then we get to the New Testament and see this is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so each of the different Psalms that we've looked at has gotten us to Jesus kind of from different angles. And so each message, even though they're all from the Psalms, have been from different Psalms. And so the tone has been even very different from message to message. But today we go to Psalm 132. We're going to spend the first half of the sermon looking directly at Psalm 132, and then we're going to spend the second half of the sermon looking at where Psalm 132 points us. So, uh, four gospel truths that are going to help us really celebrate Christmas that really flow out of Psalm 132. So, that's what we're looking at today. If you are able to, our custom is that we stand as we read the Word of God. So, please stand now. I'll read the entirety of Psalm 132 Uh, Right after I pray, Father, thank you that you, by your Spirit, had uh, an author, a human author, write these very words, and that for centuries now, your people have used these words to worship you. And just as the first people using this psalm would, would use it as they were ascending up to Jerusalem, I pray that you would help us to use this psalm as we Look to Jesus, the one who was born, the one who lived, the one who died, and the one who was raised from the dead, the one who was ascended into heaven, and the one who is coming again. Direct our attention. Do away with distractions, not even in the building, but just in our own minds. Uh, Take our hearts and make them your own as we look now, not just at your word, but at you. Help us to see you clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 132, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured while he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold. 
We heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, go to your resting place. You and the ark of your might, let your priests be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Amen. You can be seated. So let's just look right away, right at Psalm 132. We're going to see three sections of this psalm. And each of them, we're going to see a desire. First, we're going to see David's desire. Let me give you a little context, though, that I think is going to be very important as we walk through this. Again, the superscriptions, what's written right above the psalm, depending on how your Bible is set up, are words that, while not original necessarily, have very long-standing tradition that help us to understand how this psalm was used by God's people. This is called a song of ascents. So ascent, ascending is, is to go up somewhere. And if you started paging through the psalms, you would notice this, that a similar title, a song of ascents, starts in, verse, in, in Psalm 120 and keeps working its way through. So Psalm 120, 121, 122, 123, all the way through to Psalm 134 is the collection of psalms known as Songs of Ascent. Now what does that mean? It simply means this. These were a collection of psalms written over different periods of time by different people. Some of them are of David, some of them are not. This one that we're looking at today, we don't know who wrote it. Right? But it's all together, these collection of psalms, Psalms 120 to 134, were used as Jewish people would come from wherever they lived to Jerusalem for a feast prescribed to them in Scripture. Three probably main feasts that people would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for throughout the course of a year. So you can imagine a family getting together for a road trip and making their way from all corners of Israel and Judah, coming together to come up to Jerusalem. And as they came, they would sing these songs. And there's some evidence that they sang them actually in this order, starting at 120 and going through 134. So the closer they got to Jerusalem, the closer they got to the end of this part of their worship book. So Psalm 132, towards the end of the Song of Ascents, presumably sung by God's people as they were nearing and maybe even on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Okay, So that's the context for this. You get this picture, hopefully in your mind, of this being used uh, of people that are just celebrating their rich nat national history, right? God has done mighty works throughout the history of Israel and Judah. And so you see God's people coming to the place where much of that work has taken place. 
right there in Jerusalem, and they're excited, and they're singing, and there's a lot of anticipation as they recount all that God has done. I remember uh, thinking about holidays and traveling to go visit grandparents. I had some grandparents that lived about an hour away on a farm, and there was nothing uh, that really kind of stood out in the landscape. It was west-central Minnesota, looked much like the landscape of this part of Iowa, flat and fields everywhere. Uh, but there was uh, what we called a hole in the trees, a spot where we would know we're almost to Grandma and Grandpa's house. When we came to this spot where the road curved, it was like straight the whole way. But there was one curve on the road, and it looked like you were going to go through a hole in the trees, but then the road curves, and it was just a hole in trees uh, for electrical lines. When we went to my other grandparents' house, they lived up in Duluth, Minnesota. A lot more beauty. Uh, to, well, no, I wouldn't say that. Fields are beautiful, too. Um, but Lake Superior up in Duluth, I remember as we would come into Duluth, we would come around a corner, and as you came around a particular corner, you could see Lake Superior stretched out in front of you, the lift bridge as part of the landscape, and that, too, was beautiful. And we knew at that point we're almost there. Right, so there's an excitement with being almost there. I think in Psalm 132, God's people are using this when they're almost there. They've got Jerusalem in their sights. They've been singing on the road trip. Now they're almost there. And so that's the context. Does that help maybe uh, us to see what's going on here? So let's go ahead and dive into what they were singing. It begins in verses 1 and 2 saying, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured. So they're referring back to one of their kings, in fact, the second king of Israel, whose name was David, the most famous of the kings. And they're referring back to a time which you can read about in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to go there later. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I'm not going to turn there right now, just giving you the story. What's happening in Israel at the time of King David is he's been enthroned for a bit, and in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there is finally rest in the land. Israel seemed to always be at battle with somebody, somebody picking a fight with them everywhere they turned. But there was this time under David's reign where things were relatively at peace. And so as David is sitting there and things are peaceful in the land of Israel... I should mention this, in 2 Samuel 6, a big thing had just happened. In 2 Samuel 6, the ark, uh, the ark of the covenant, the ark of the, the presence of God, where, where this essentially a fancy box where the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments had been placed, really symbolizing the, the presence of the Lord dwelling with his people. This had been neglected for a time, but now had been taken into Jerusalem. And as David sits during this time of relative peace, he's sitting comfortably in his cedar palace, in his own home. And he's feeling guilty that there is no resting place, no dwelling place for the ark of the Lord. And so David's desire is that he would build something, some sort of housing, some sort of dwelling place for the ark of the Lord that the Lord might dwell there among his people right in Jerusalem. That's David's desire, and he vows to do it. So verses 3 to 5 here in Psalm 132 are just recounting that. They're remembering that as they ascend. They say, remember what David vowed. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until, here's his desire, I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. That's David's desire and his vow. I'm going to make a dwelling place for the Lord 
in Jerusalem. More on that here in a moment. So that's what the people are recounting as they're coming. Now, verses 6 through 10. So that's remembering the past. Now, verses 6 through 10, we're going to hear the people's desire and request in the present day as they're ascending to Jerusalem. Okay, The people's desire and request are laid out for us in verses 6 through 10. So you imagine them singing this, and they're singing this this desire, basically. Verses 6 and 7. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah, We found it in the fields of Ja'ar. Here's their desire. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. They're on the way to the temple that now has been built. In the time where they're singing this, the temple has been built, and the ark is there in the most holy place, and they're desiring to go and worship the Lord in his dwelling place. And their desire is that the Lord would meet them there. Look at verses 8 through 10. It's they say, Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Their desire is for the Lord to be present, for God's favor to be on his anointed one. There's this kind of joyful procession as they get closer to Jerusalem, their expectation and anticipation and their desire is that we're going to meet the Lord here. They're excited about this. You ever been on a road trip where you're super jazzed about where you're going to go? And so even as you get closer, the excitement builds. I remember one time Kirsten and I making plans to take my little sister, who's nine years younger than me, to her first Christian concert. So we were going to take her to the concert of a band whose music I really liked at that time. So I was excited to share that moment with my sister and with Kirsten. We're going to hear a band that I think makes really good music, and we're going to do this together. And we get there, and I'll tell you more about it soon. That's what they're doing. There's excitement and anticipation. This didn't happen every day, but they're coming for a very special occasion to this very special place, and they're going to come into the temple of the Lord. They desire to meet with the Lord there. They want to be with the Lord in his dwelling place. You get the anticipation? And then verses 11 to 18 shift gears, and we're going to hear more about the Lord's desire. So we've heard David's desire, the people's desire. Now what about the Lord's desire? Here's what it says in verses 11 and 12. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them. Their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. Remember how I told you earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we hear David's desire. I want to make the Lord a dwelling place. Remember that? Now, what was the Lord's answer to David's desire? Hint, it's not, yes, thank you for asking. I've been waiting for you to ask. That's not the Lord's response to David. Instead, the Lord reminds David of something else. I'm going to turn there now to 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you turn there, go ahead and keep your finger there in Psalm 132. We're going to go right back to it. But I wanted us to put our eyes on this. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, after David has said, this is what I'm going to do for the Lord, the Lord is responding to David through the prophet Nathan. 
I'm going to just start in verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Now listen to this. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. I love this. I love that that here is David saying, I need to make a dwelling place for the Lord. And the Lord responds to David and says, I'm going to make a house for you. You don't need to make a house for me. You're not going to make a house for me. I'm going to make a house for you. What's he talking about there? Is he talking, I mean, we already found out David, David lives in, in a cedar palace. He, he's not talking about that kind of house. He'll go on, and I'm not going to read all of verses 12 through 16, but he goes on in verses 12 to 16 to tell him what he means by that. Yes, a temple will be built. A more permanent, but still temporary, dwelling place of the Lord will be built. But it's not going to be by David. It's going to be by David's son. But the Lord is going to do something more, bigger, for David. Yes, his son Solomon is going to build a temple. But the Lord is going to build for David a kingdom, a dynasty. One will sit on his throne forever. David's life will end. The life of all of his sons will end. But the Lord promises to David that one will sit on the throne of David forever. The Lord's desire and oath is to make an eternal king on the throne of David. Now, skip back to Psalm 132. We're not quite done with Psalm 132. We left off in verse 12, I think it was. Verse 13 says this, for the Lord has chosen Zion, and now we're going to hear the Lord's desire. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. The Lord's desire, an eternal dwelling place. And then they're confident that he will get what he desires. We read that in the rest of the psalm that I already read. So we get to the end of Psalm 132. Let me just read the last couple verses. It says this, I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. So we see when the Lord's presence is in Jerusalem, some good things are going to happen. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. Her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn, that is a, 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 a ruler, to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame but on him his crown will shine. There's anticipation of something still better yet to come in Jerusalem because Psalm 132 leaves us longing. Think about this. David's son Solomon, he would build a temple, and it would be quite impressive. A place for the Lord to dwell with his people. And the people of Israel would see it, and they would go there, and the nations would see it, and they would be impressed. But I just got done reading 2 Chronicles in my Bible reading plan. And you know what happens at the end of 2 Chronicles? The temple is destroyed. 
And so the Lord has promised to make this dwelling place. The Lord has promised to give an eternal king. And if you look at the history of the kings of Israel and Judah, there's good and there's bad and a lot more bad. And then God's people get taken away into exile. They don't even have a land anymore. And when they're finally allowed to come back, they try to reconstruct the temple again. The second temple, but it's like Temple 2.0, but it's not an upgrade. In fact, in Ezra chapter 3, we find that some of the generation who knew about the previous temple, when they come back, some people are shouting for joy, oh, we're back in Jerusalem, we got a temple again. And those that remember the previous one, they're weeping. Like, this is it? This isn't, this isn't what this wasn't what we were hoping for. So Psalm 132, even though there's all this anticipation of the people coming up to Jerusalem, they're, they're pretty hyped. But it leaves them longing. You know that concert I told you we were all excited to take my sister to? Well, we arrived at the concert venue only to find out that the band's trailer had been stolen on their previous tour stop, and so some other band was filling in that night. They weren't very good, and we didn't stay very long. We were disappointed. I imagine that to be the feeling of God's people for centuries as they came to Jerusalem to worship. Oh, they were excited. Expectations were high. This is the dwelling place of the Lord. They're singing Psalms 120 to 134, these songs of ascent, as they get closer. But as they arrive, I wonder if they didn't feel a feeling of emptiness and darkness. It wasn't what they were expecting. And the two big questions probably on their mind were this. Will God fulfill his promise to give us an eternal king? Will God, and number two, will God dwell with us so that we can worship him? And here's the good news that we can walk away, and this helps us prepare for Christmas. The good news is that the longings and desires that we're left with in Psalm 132 are fulfilled in Jesus. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in him. Let's go ahead and look then at these four gospel truths that flow. We've got these longings and desires in Psalm 132. We wonder what to do with them, and we find out, oh, they're fulfilled in Jesus. So, four of them, and we'll go through relatively quickly, because each of them just has, well, most of them have one verse to go with them. Number one, this Christmas, we can celebrate this gospel truth. That God fulfills his promises. Jesus is the eternal king. The promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel 7 is a promise that God has kept by sending his son Jesus to be the eternal king. Remember Psalm 132 verse 17 said, I will make a horn to sprout for David. Well, if we flipped ahead in the New Testament to Luke chapter 1 verse 69... This is just before we get to Luke 2, where the birth of Jesus account is. In Luke chapter 1, verse 69, filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah prophesies, and here is what Zechariah says. And he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is just now weeks before baby Jesus is born. And in Luke chapter 2, we're not surprised then when we get to verses 9 and 10, that talk about this king who has been born, the Christ. The Messiah they'd been waiting for. Remember, Christ and Messiah, same word, one in Greek, one in Hebrew. And so we're not surprised to hear the angels declaring in verses 9 and 10. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This Christmas we can celebrate the good news that God fulfills his promise and Jesus has sent the eternal king. The Messiah that he promised would come has come. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Number two, we are going to sing at the end of this worship service, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In that, we're in, that, uh, in that song, there is this line, Hail the incarnate deity. What does that mean? <laughs> Hail the incarnate deity. It means this, Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus is God in flesh. This Christmas, we can celebrate this gospel truth, that Jesus is God in flesh. God's people had a longing to dwell with him. They wanted God to dwell with them. And good news, church, these desires are fulfilled by the person of Jesus. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14, just one verse, John 1, 14 says this, And the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We want God to dwell with us. That's what they were longing for. And at Christmas, that's what we celebrate, the incarnation. God coming to dwell with us in human flesh, in the person of the eternal Son of God taking on human flesh, being born and laid in a manger. John 1.14 is good news. God dwells not in a particular place, but in a person. Colossians 2.9 says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Hail the incarnate deity. Jesus is God in the flesh. Number three. Number three. Here is this. God dwells with us now. Because here's maybe the problem. The, the problem we see, if, it, if God dwelling with us is in the person of Jesus, Jesus lived in the flesh. He died in human flesh. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. And what happened 40 days later? He ascended into heaven. So is God with us now? If Jesus in his body ascended into heaven and will come again someday, what about now? And the answer is, oh, we've got good news there too. And this is something we can celebrate. That our desire to have God dwelling with us now is also a desire that is fulfilled in Jesus. Here's what we see in the New Testament. Speaking to the church in Corinth, to people who had repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus, here's what 1 Corinthians 3.16 says. Do you not know, and, and we don't have, I was just talking to somebody about this this week, in English, um, <laughs> I should say, I, no offense to people from Texas, uh, in proper English, we do not, like y'all isn't really a, a thing, like second person plural, but in Greek it was, right? And so if, if, if it was proper, then the, the translators of English Bibles would actually put here, this is where, like this would be actually very helpful if we all spoke Texas. Because it would say here, this is plural, do ye all not know that y'all are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in y'all? Okay? All of us. This is, this is plural. Okay? This is, this is the truth that God's spirit now dwells in his people. We're not all making a pilgrimage at some point to one place in one city in the Middle East because God's presence is there. But God's presence, this is beautiful, God's presence dwells among his 
people. You are God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells in you. That's why we don't refer to this building as God's house, right? Uh, Because God doesn't dwell inside concrete walls. He dwells inside people. Those who have received Jesus by faith and now have God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So, you know, even maybe connecting it a little bit to the, the you know, the little bulletin insert about, about the building project, I, I'm still hopefully anticipating that it would be good for us in order to continue the mission that God has here, that we'd be able to add on to this building. But my hope, like if that gets delayed or doesn't happen, or like, well, what, that's not where our hope is, right? Our hope and the beauty is not in this building. Uh, the beauty is in God's spirit, God dwelling with us in these people that we have the privilege of gathering together with week after week. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. God dwells with us now. And finally, (laughs) number four, God will dwell with us forever. Because even as God dwells with us now, we know his church is imperfect. We're imperfect. There's going to be people like here's God is dwelling among us and we don't always get along, or, or somebody annoyed, like all of that stuff. And in this body, in this body, there it's subject to sickness and eventually death and all kinds of other things. So in this world, there's still this longing, this sense like not everything is as it should be, and you're right, it's not. But here's the hope that we live with, a gospel truth to celebrate this Christmas, and that is this, that the best is yet to come. God will dwell with us forever. God will dwell with us forever. Psalm 132 is set in the context, for Israel, there was constant threats on them. Poverty, sickness, death, exile, destruction of the temple. But we celebrate this gospel truth. God will dwell with his people forever. I'm going to end this then by just looking at that. So if you have a Bible, turn to Revelation 21. We're just going to end there before we sing. Revelation 21. I want you to hear these beautiful words that remind us of a gospel truth to celebrate, that God will dwell with his people forever. I'm going to read the first four verses and then the last six verses. Revelation 21, God's word says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Don't we long for this? Skip ahead to the end of this chapter. It says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. 
and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the future that we have to look forward to for all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that are those who have heard the good news of the gospel, who have acknowledged before God, I'm a sinner and I have no right to dwell with you. And I know you wouldn't want to dwell with me. But in Christ, by union with Christ in faith, the one who has died for our sins, who was buried and raised in accordance with the scripture, as I am united with him in faith, I'm given a new life, a new heart, and I now look forward to dwelling with the Lord forever. This is a gospel truth worth celebrating this Christmas. And if that is what we truly desire, we will not be disappointed. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we can live with hope this Christmas. Thank you that your promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Thank you that our deepest desires are met in him. We do. Here's what we desire, God. We desire to dwell with you. And we know we cannot work our way, earn our way into your presence. So we are amazed by the good news that you, God, desire to dwell with us. And we know that we can only experience this dwelling with you by being united by faith to Christ. He is the Messiah who has come. He is God in flesh. He is the incarnate deity. We know, we trust that just because you promised and you fulfilled the promise to send him to live and to die, to take on flesh, we know that you also will prom- you have promised that he will come again and we know you'll fulfill that promise that he will reign and rule as eternal king that he will be with us as our god that we will be with you as your people God I pray that you would cause our desire for you to grow as we celebrate Christmas this year with these gospel truths in mind may that begin even as we sing this song now In Jesus' name, amen.